Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed, so enjoy this message. Hey, I want to welcome all of you. My name is Troy Maxwell, and uh, my wife and I are the senior pastors here. We're one church, multiple locations. We have a lot of people online from Georgia, Florida, Maine, MI, Michigan, I'm so sorry, MS, Mississippi, Nevada, sorry, I failed geometry, geography. Nevada, New York, Virginia, and France. Come on, let's give it up for all of our online streamers. Uh, We also have a church in uh, one of our locations at South End. We have Lake Norman. And soon, we'll be in the Mecklenburg County Detention Center, reaching about 2,000 of the inmates there. So, fantastic. Give yourselves a big hand. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Well, um, I'm excited. we got a couple great things that are happening coming up in the next week or so. Uh, This coming Saturday, a week from yesterday, I know many of you. How many of y'all are doing the vow renewal? Raise your hand if you're doing the vow renewal. Anybody? A couple in the back. All right. we still got a couple spots open. My wife and I are going to be teaching. Matter of fact, all of the couples, all of our campus pastors are going to be teaching at all of the different campuses And uh, we have a special marriage weekend. We're going to be devoted. Now, if you're single, okay, listen, I know, because you feel like you're alienated. uh, Don't feel that way. Just come anyway, um, because you may not be single forever. Can I get an amen? Um, It could be your opportunity after the service to meet somebody. You could sit by somebody. Maybe we will have a section just for you where you can exchange numbers and uh, maybe have a, a moment in the service where we can speed date or something like that. We'll figure it all out. <clears throat> I'm joking, by the way. Uh, but we're going to have a great time next Saturday night. We're going to have a party afterwards, have some cake for you, maybe do the electric slide, have a really good time. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of fun. And I, I can't think of a better time of the year to re- renew our vows and just kind of get ourselves back into the right uh, mode of thinking when it comes to our marriages. And then uh, coming up on March 10th, we're doing something that we do at the church once or twice a year. It's called Forward. Now, if you're not familiar with Forward, it's basically a continuation of our Get on Track, um, uh, leading people out of their past into who God created them to be. Uh, So we have four classes. Uh, I'm going to be teaching a couple of them. A couple of our teaching team is going to be a part of those. Um, What night of the week is that on? It's a Tuesday night. It's going to be a Tuesday night right here at Central Campus. You can come and participate in that. And then in May, we're going to have a weekend of immersion into the presence of God. It's two days Just, I mean, full on experience God, experience the Holy Spirit, and allow God to minister to your heart. How many know sometimes you just need to get away and get with God? When was the last time you just went went, went all in and spent some time with God, like 24 hours of just spending time with God? I'm telling you what, it will change your life forever. So make sure you register for that, and it's going to be a great time. We're in a series, finishing up. Uh, over the next couple weeks called Crash Test Dummies. We're talking about the collision of relationships. And one of the things that I always do is I try to find out 
why we should do things when the Bible says to do it. You know, God says, do this. Well, why, God? Why? why? Let, let's take a step deeper. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk about life-defining relationships. I believe that relationships are defining seasons in our life. I think all of us can probably go back to specific entrances of people and go, this was a season of my life. And we can also go back and look at exits of people and go, this is a season of my life. Are you with me? Uh, I think more when it comes to the exit, we can remember, uh, than the entrance. But I think both of them create a significant moment in our, in our lives that we need to pay attention to. Relationships are extremely important. And so why, why, why should we spend all this time? You know, why? It's hard. People sometimes are not nice. It's hard to get along with people. It's hard to stay married. It's hard. It's really difficult to, to come to church and, and like people and, and love them and, 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 and just be nice to people even when they're mean to you and, and you go to work and the Bible says, be nice to them. Love them anyway. And that's hard. Would you agree? Come on, about 10 of you are with me today. I guess the rest of you just have this easy plan of dealing with relationships. Well, I don't think that's normal. Most of us have a hard time. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So, so I, 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 why should we do this? Well, here's what the Bible says in Matthew. I want, I want to just take a few minutes and talk about this. In Matthew 18, and I love uh, Olin, uh, Olin's message last week, really talked about these first few verses, but I need to set the context of what Jesus is saying. This is all, Jesus is saying this. This is all in red in your Bibles. By the way, take some notes, write some things down, use the new app, use the note sheet that we gave you. But here's what it says in verse 15. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, if he does something that you don't like, something that's against the Bible, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So the first thing is not to tell everybody about it. Let me say that one more time, just to make sure. The first thing is not to tell everybody about it and try to get them all on your side no, the first thing is to go to talk to him or her, and uh, this doesn't leave you out, ladies, just because it says him. All right, so, so all, we need to all, brother or sister, sins against you, then you need to go talk to him first. All right, so if he hears you, guess what? You gained your brother or your sister. But if he will not hear you, now you can go and find somebody. Now, not somebody that's going to always agree with you. You want to find kind of that middle person. You want to find somebody that's going to go with you, that's going to look at this from um, kind of a, a helpful ground of restoring the relationship. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Go, go to the leadership of the church. But if he refuses even, now that doesn't mean go to Facebook. But he refuses even to hear the church, let him be like a heathen and a tax collector. In other words, now you have the right biblically to separate yourself from them. Okay, so, so if they don't hear you the first time, go get somebody else. If they don't hear you the second time, go tell the church about it. Get a leader involved. Get somebody that's in, uh, that has good counsel. Tell them about it. They go and talk to that person. If they still don't hear it, then you have a right. Now, this is the hard part of us Christians because all we, we want everybody to get along with us, and sometimes that just doesn't happen. And so the way I look at it is, that, hey, I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> Enjoy your ride here on earth. We'll meet up in heaven where there's no flesh and there's no sin, and we'll get along way better. Um, I'm sure your mansion will be on the other side of town. 
and that's cool with that. You know, I'll come visit you every now and then if you have a cookout. And then now, now here's where he gets into the reason why we should be doing this. And this is where I wanted to get to. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, notice what Jesus does. He tells us why. He tells us, here's how you restore the relationship now, why do you do that? Why do you spend that effort and that energy trying to get along with people? Because when you do, there's a pathway between heaven and earth. You create in the relationship the ability for heaven to touch earth and earth to reach into heaven. That's a good thing because you want that in your home. You want that in your job. You want that in your church. You want that in your relationships. You want that in your life group. So when somebody offends you, don't just go bitter, make the relationship better. Go, go into it with understanding that now when, when we get along, when we can have this relationship good, now I can have a strategic plan for God to come and touch where I am and get involved. Notice what else Jesus says. He says, again, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So not only do you create a pathway, but now your prayers will be heard by God. That's a good thing. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. How many of y'all want God to hear your prayers? I do too. I want God to hear my prayers. And so I need to make sure that I'm restoring the relationships. Then the third thing he says, it says, for where two or three are gathered together. Everybody say gathered together. Gather together. One more time. Say gathered together. Now, this is interesting because in the Greek, remember the Old Testament written in Hebrew, translated into English, New Testament written in Greek, translated into English. This is the same word twice. Why would Jesus use the same word two times in a row? It's the Greek word sunego. So he says, where two or three are, are sunego, sunego. Why would he say that? Because there's a big difference between gathered together. There's a big difference between a puzzle in a box and a puzzle that's put together. Same puzzle, different degree of connection. Are you with me? And so, and then he says this. When you are sonego, sonego, when you are gathered together, guess what he says? I'm going to be there. Now, wouldn't it be great if every time we got together in church, Jesus showed up? I don't want to go to church without Jesus showing up. Why would we have? That's just called a club. I don't want to go to a club I want to go to a community of believers who are working through their issues because G when Jesus shows up, things change. When Jesus shows up, marriage is restored. When Jesus shows up, bodies are healed. When Jesus shows up, communities are transformed. When Jesus shows up, cities are changed. When Jesus shows up, come on, can I get an amen in here today? That, that's what I want. How many of y'all want that? I want Jesus to show up. So let's learn how to do relationships. Let's learn how to navigate. And I want to talk specifically about the difficult relationships, the hard ones. How do we navigate these things? So what we're going to do is we're going to go to David's relationship school. I love King David. David's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Um, he, he taught me a lot. He's taught me over the years a lot about relationships and, and how to lead and how not to lead and how to repent. At least that's what my wife tells me all the time. And so... How, how did, he had all kinds of different relationships. And when you look at his life, beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 
all the way through Samuel and 2 Samuel and, and 1 Kings and into 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, you can read all of that. You can see that relationships re- represent defining moments in our lives because they represented defining moments in David's life. They were significant. Now, here's what we know. If we understand the why, then we can understand why the devil wants to divide us so much. Why is there such an, uh, uh, just such an attack on marriage? Why is there such an attack on relationships? Why is there such a racial tension? It's because the devil wants to divide us. Because he knows that when we're together, together, come on, look at your neighbor say, together, together, then heaven shows up, prayers are answered, and Jesus arrives. And so we've got to navigate those difficult relationships. And David had a lot of difficult relationships. He had some good relationships. But I want to talk specifically about the lessons that he learned. Now, if you want to go to school with David, if you want to understand where he got his curriculum from or study his curriculum, then all you got to do is read the book of Psalms. The whole book of Psalms is David's navigation of his relationships. Let me just prove it to you. Psalms 142, it says, hear my cry. David's crying out to God. Hear my cry, God, for I am very low. I'm having a bad day. I'm having a, I'm having a tough time. Rescue me from my persecutors. I got some people that are persecuting me. I got some people who are calling me out. They're throwing shade on me on Facebook and Instagram. I mean, I know that statement that she just made on Instagram was about me and my family, and, and I can't stand the way that she looks at me, and she's persecuting me, and, and he's doing this. and I, Free me from, rescue me from my persecutors, persecutors, for they are too strong for me. I can't handle this, God. Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. And then he changes his whole tune. He says, the godly will crowd around me. God, you are going to send people that are good to me, for you are good to me. And you keep getting better. That's a good song right there. I like that song. Listen to this one. This is Psalms 13. How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? The whole book of Psalms is David navigating these relationships and ultimately finding his foundation in the Lord. So I want to look at three different relationships really quickly, three relationships that I think will help us. The first one is his relationship with his dad, and it's a father's rejection, a father's rejection. Now, before I get into this story, I want to just kind of give you a historical point of reference in regards to what's happening in the framework of Israel at this moment, okay? Um, Because uh, when we talk about rejection, rejection is is the deepest emotional wound that we suffer with. It's a very difficult thing to overcome because it attacks our self-worth. It attacks our acceptance. And so so where did did this rejection come from? Okay, let's, let's just go back and understand. The Israelites came out of Egypt, led by Moses, led by Joshua into the promised land. Okay, so they go into the promised land, and they're just... Everything's good. You know, they're winning wars. They're taking ground. They're taking territory. But there's all these other nations that are around the Israelites. And as a result of those nations being around the Israelites, they start to whine to God. God, we want a king. Everybody else got a king. 
Lord, we want a king. Will you give us a king? We really like kings. Would you give us a king? And God's like, no, no, no. I'm not going to give you a king. You know, I, I'm your king. This is a theocracy. You're looking for something way different. He says, listen, you don't, you don't need a king. I want to be your king. Let me lead you. But we want a king because everybody else has got one. We want one. And here's what happens with God. You whine to God long enough about you want, he'll give you something you don't need. Just to prove it to you. Because he keeps telling them over and over, you don't want a king because a king's going to take your kids for war. He's going to take your money and tax you. You're going to have all these problems. But God goes and says, all right. So he gets this prophet named Samuel, and Samuel goes and finds <coughs> this guy named Saul who looks like a great king. I mean, he's a shoulder high. He's like, he's like Aaron. He's just tall and handsome. You know, yeah. Pastor Aaron right here on the front row. <laughs> I was waiting for Stephanie to say something. So I was giving her an opportunity right there to say amen. She hesitated a little bit, Aaron. I'm wondering, maybe you need to renew your vows next week at the 29th. <laughs> and so this, this Saul is shoulder head, higher than everybody else. He's like 18 inches taller than everybody. I mean, he's a huge guy. This awesome, amazing spectacle of a man. But he, he, he's not good. There's some problems with, we'll talk about him in a minute. Some problems with Saul. He messes up. He disobeys God. And the Bible says that Samuel goes to him at one particular point and says, listen, the kingdom's being ripped away from you. God thought he were the one, you know, but you're not the one. I got to find somebody who has a heart after me. And so Samuel is sent to the town of Bethlehem. You ever heard of that name, Bethlehem, before? Is anybody else you know that was born in Bethlehem? What was his name? Yeah, just checking to make sure. You didn't skip Christmas this year. And so, so, so he goes to Bethlehem. Samuel's really nervous about it because he knows that if Saul finds out that he's going to anoint another king, that Saul will kill him. And so, so he shows up and God says, look, I got you covered. Just take an offering. But I want you to go to Jesse's house. Everybody say Jesse. Jesse was a very important patriarch in the Bible. He was very known in the city. He was an important man. All of the elders knew in the city who Jesse was. Jesse, Jesse was a rich man. He was very wealthy. He had a big family. And so Samuel goes to his house, and Jesse is so fired up that he brings his whole family together, and he starts to parade his kids in front of Samuel because Samuel says, I need to find a new king for Israel, and he's in your house. And so he brings his eldest son. He goes, this is the one. I mean, he's, he's track athlete. He's a wrestler. He plays baseball. He's, pro he's probably got more followers than any of my other kids on Instagram and Facebook. He is the one. You need to pick him. His name is Eliab. You know, and, and Eliab, I mean, just, that just sounds like a, a kingly name, okay? So he comes before him, and God says he ain't the one. Matter of fact, he makes a powerful statement God does to Samuel and says, listen, listen, Samuel, you got it all wrong. Because I don't look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. Men looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart of what's going on. And this guy ain't got the right heart. And then he goes down to Abinadab, and then he goes to Shama. I mean, Shama, come on, Shama, that's a great name for a king. King Shama is coming in the building. Shama. I mean, awesome name. I mean, whoever's having a kid soon, you should just name him Shama. And so he, he, show, he ain't the one. So he goes through all the kids. And then the, look what happens. Verse, verse 11 of chapter 16, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all these young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. 
And then he points to him, and there he is keeping the sheep. Okay, time out for a second. Now, we know who this is. If you know the Bible, he's talking about David. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. We're going to sit. So, so let me ask you a question, because this bothered me for many me. I've been, I've been pastoring for about 25 years. This bothered me for so many years, because why in the world would a dad not invite their son to such an important meeting? Why did he do that? I mean, he's got these kids. He's parading in front of Samuel. Samuel, the prophet, this guy. I mean, this is the most important thing. Jesse is a, a Jew. He, he, he knows tradition. Tradi- he is not going to go against tradition. So this week, I was talking to my mentor. I was spending some time this week in Tennessee with my mentor. And I started to ask him. He goes, hey, what are you going to preach this weekend? And I said, this is what I'm going to preach. And he goes, hey, I got something I want to tell you. And I started to think about this, what he told me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this blew my mind. Why why did he not invite David to this event? Well, the word youngest right here doesn't just mean young of age. It actually means insignificant and unimportant. Why did he make that statement to David? Why did he say? It's it's the Hebrew word katan. It means small, insignificant, unimportant. And there's a lot more to this. Because if you go forward and you look at chapter 17, when David is sent to his brothers to take him some food, his brother treats him like dirt. Not to mention, Jesse's a very rich man. Why in the world would he make one of his sons be a shepherd, which is the lowest job you can have in the family? It's interesting. Could it be that there was something different about David in regards to the family? And this is when everything opened up to me. This is when I started to realize, oh, my gosh, have you ever, have you ever wanted to buy a car like, a, like, you know, maybe a Honda Civic or a Toyota Camry? You started doing research on that particular car. I mean, it could be anything. And then when you do that research, everywhere you go, all you can see is that car. You ever done that before? Okay, when, when I started looking at this, the whole Bible changed in regards to David And specifically his relationship as a type of Christ. And then I went to Psalm 69. And here's what David said in Psalm 69. And most theologians believe that Psalm 69 was written while David was a teenager. 15, 16, 17 years old. Here's what he says. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. So I did a little research. What does the word stranger mean? It actually is the Hebrew word zur, which means bastard. David is an illegitimate child. That's why his dad rejected him. Now, when I started digging into this, I realized a couple things. First of all, David's mom is never mentioned in Scripture. Why is that? Because every other patriarchal mom is mentioned. Then I started to realize that there are some different things we got to understand about Uh, Jewish history. There's a couple ways you can look at Jewish history. Now, I believe the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. Amen? So what I'm sharing with you today is not a theological thing. It's a historical thing that can help support the theology or the truth of the Scripture. There's two ways to look at Jewish history when it comes to preaching. We can ignore it, or we can look at it to help build a case or a foundation To help us understand scripture in a deeper way. I'm going to choose the second when it comes to this. 
David said, I have become a bastard, illegitimate to my, my brothers, and an alien, illegitimate, to my mother's children. Why did, why did Jesse treat David this way? Because he wasn't his son. Blew my mind. Okay, let, me, let me prove it to you. I'll give you another scripture. And you know the scripture. You know this one. This is in Psalms 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. What? David wrote this. He was brought forth in sin. And in my sin, in sin, my mother conceived me. What in the world? Blew my mind. Why, why did Jesse reject David? Because he was an illegitimate son. We go through life many times because people reject us, calling us illegitimate and unqualified for the things that God has called us to. Rejection is a powerful thing. Rejection can set you back. David had to navigate this rejection. He had to, he had to go through these challenges. But can I just tell you something that's important to understand? Is that you're in good company when you go through rejection. Because Jesus was rejected too. The Bible says that he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. David was called illegitimate. Jesus was called illegitimate. David was challenged by his own family. Jesus was challenged by his own family. David was cast out by his family. Jesus went into um, what he was supposed to be, the religious group. His people were supposed to connect with him, and the religious people just pushed him away. Matter of fact, many times in the Bible, they challenged his legitimacy. In John chapter 4, you remember in John chapter 8, when they threw the woman of adultery at his feet? You know why they did that? It's because they were saying, this is exactly what your mom was when she had you. I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you, Jesus. What are you going to do about this woman? Because she's just like Mary, your mom. Rejection is a tough thing. Why? Because our number one human need is to feel like we belong. That's what we want. We want to feel like we belong. Now, let me just say something about the church. This is so important. As a church, and this is where, as a pastor, I want you to understand what Freedom House Church is all about. The number one we, thing we want people to do when they walk through these doors is to know that they belong here. Let me, let me make that very clear. Because religion says this. You need to believe first. You need to behave like me. Then you can belong like me. But that's not Jesus. That's not the community of the church. The community of the church is you belong first. Then we'll deal with your belief. Now, I know that challenges your thought. You said, hold on a second. They need, to, they need to believe like me first. No, no, no. No, no. That's not what Jesus did. Matter of fact, Jesus was criticized by the people that, because all these sinners and tax collectors were drawn to him, and they felt comfortable around him. Listen, I want sinners I want homosexuals. I want people who are struggling in their life to walk through the doors of Freedom House Church and go, I found a place where I belong. Can I get an amen? amen. You say, no. Well, well, hold on a second. Aren't they supposed to change? Yeah, they are. But that's God's job, not mine. That's God's job, not yours. So we want to create an environment at all of our campuses, 
And everywhere we are, that you belong first, then we'll deal with your belief. We'll work on your belief. God will deal with that. And then guess what happens? You can't change behavior until you change belief. Behavior will change. It'll work it out. Might take a week. Might take a month. Might take six months. Might take six years. Come on, look at your neighbor. Say, he's talking about me right now. Because it takes time. Some of us are still struggling with some of that behavior. Come on, look behind you and say, he's talking about you right now. (laughs) So what do you do when you go through rejection? How do you you deal with this? Let me just give you a couple thoughts, first of all, is that that you got to know God never rejects you. He never rejects you. You also got to stay faithful right where you are. This is what David did, is he stayed faithful. He kept the sheep. He did what his dad told him to do, regardless. Now, we know what happened. He brought him into the house. And as soon as he walked in front of Samuel, God goes, he's the one. Now, was he perfect? No. Was he rejected? Yes. But immediately, listen to me very closely, his rejection preceded his promotion. Whenever you go through rejection, get ready for a promotion. Whenever you feel rejection, get ready for a promotion. God's about to promote you. Can I get an amen? Come on, that's good stuff right there. I think we need to take a five-second praise break and just thank God for that right now. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Woo! Come on. You're about ready to get promoted. Promoted in your job. Promoted in your ministry. Promoted in, in God's kingdom. Promote. Just promotion is on the way when you have to go. And then hold on to hope. you got to hold on To hope. Hope is the confident expectation of good. Yes, this person may have rejected me, but God never will reject me. And God's going to send some people who will crowd around me, who love me and accept me for who I am. Not what I can do for them. Not what I can give them. Not what I can promise them, but just because of who I am. And they're going to support me. Amen? Amen. And so there are some who qualify in God's eyes that never qualify in man's eyes. And that's what happened with David. Here's the second person. The second relationship is David and Saul. And this is a leader's insecurity. So here's what happened. David gets anointed king. And and at the moment that he gets anointed king, because the kingdom has been ripped away from Saul, the previous king, he immediately gets this tormenting spirit. And, and, And David is a worship leader. Skinny jeans, beard, everything. He's got it going on. And Saul realized that he liked David. And so here's what he does. Verse chapter 16, just a few verses later. Then Saul sent word to Jesse asking, please let David remain in my service. Because David came, he played some good worship songs. He was jamming. And he says, I am very pleased with him. Insecurity always looks like I like you first. You're you're the best thing that ever happened to me. Man, you're awesome. You're fantastic. I want you to be around me. I love you. You're great. But then something happens because Saul's insecurity toward David changed everything. It says in verse chapter 18, 8 and 9, it says, this made Saul very angry. We'll talk about what made him very angry. What's this? He said, they credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they will be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, 
A tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. Got crazy. Okay, so remember chapter 16? I really like David. He's wonderful. But because of Saul's insecurity, he says David was playing the harp, and as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand. Uh Uh-oh. And he suddenly hurled it at David. That's not good. Intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. Okay, look at me for a second. 1 Samuel 16, I love David. 1 Samuel 18, I want to kill David. But what was in between 16 and 18? Chapter 17, Goliath. David killed Goliath. But because of Saul's insecurity, and this is exactly what happens in our lives When people who are insecure are in our lives, the things that we do so good push them into a place where they want to murder us with their words because of the deeds that we've done. I had this happen when I was a kid. Okay, When I was about 14, 15, 16 years old, I learned how to ride the skateboard. Now, I'm one of those guys that when I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it, man. Like I'm going to go after it 100%. So my friend Lee... And I started riding the skateboard together. Lee was about five years older than I was. And I hung around him because he had a car. (laughs) And so he would take me all these places. And me and Lee were good friends until I started riding the skateboard. Because I immediately got better than Lee. See, this is what happens when insecure people are in your life. Is the very things that you're good at, you'll start to dumb down. Because you want them to be a part of your life. I mean, look, look what happened here. It says, this made Saul very angry. They credit him with ten thousands. They were singing songs about David. Now, if he was secure, Saul would have been, David, come on, man. I need your help. Because we can, we can defeat 11,000. We, we, can, we can do this together. This is where security comes into place. A lot of people ask me, why in the world do, don't you just do video and, and you know, spread it out to all the campuses? Because I, I don't want to be an insecure leader. I want to I let people develop themselves from the platform. I want to build into leaders of our church and, and help people grow and, and, and watch God move. through. There's some Davids in this church that need to move forward and do some big things for God. Can I get an Amen. amen. That's what we want to do. We want to empower people. Saul didn't see that. Why? Because he was insecure. I grew up in a church with an insecure leader. Now, here's the important thing. The important thing is that we all have Saul's in our life. All of us do. You're going to have a Saul. You might have one right now. Saul's are important because what they do is they reveal the insecurities in our life. The very things that, that we struggle with in our life. So Saul, Saul's help us. Listen, here's what insecure people do. The spirit of insecurity is jealous. Jealous of you. Jealous of what you've accomplished. And they'll say little subtle things to you. Oh, I heard you about your little job. <laughs> I see you got that little small promotion. Really happy for you. <laughs> right? You ever had anybody do that? That's insecurity. Instead of, man, I'm so excited about your new job. They threw that little, that little in there. That little, 
little thing in there. Whenever, whenever there's a little in front of it, they're trying to demean you. That's jealousy. Jealousy is, is a huge part of insecurity. It doesn't happen right off the bat. It could be subtle and little and sarcastic. It's a little sarcastic little jabs you know, in public and, and pe- somebody else is celebrating you and they're just sitting back there with their arms crossed. Yeah, 10,000s. Everybody's saying about your 10,000s and all I got is my thousands. A secure person would go, man, I want to get around you if you're killing 10,000 because I want to be a part of what happened in your life. Maybe some of the blessing that's on you is going to get on me. Realizing Saul, Saul could have celebrated David, but he wanted to kill him. It's jealous. Secondly, it has a low self-esteem. Now, let me tell you, a low self-esteem will often project itself in pride and ego. Over-the-top pride and ego. They, stand, they always have to be the center of attention, the center of the room. All the attention is drawn to them. You'll tell a story, and they got to one-up you. You ever been in those situations? You tell a story and they go, well, let me tell you what happened to me. And give you the look and and, and basically tell everybody about something happened and then you tell another story and then bam, you just do it. Now, here's the thing you got to be careful of because we all have Saul's in our life. Sometimes, sometimes the Saul is trying to deal with the Saul that's in you. And if you don't have a Saul, you might be one. Ooh, look at your neighbor say, ooh. Jesus. If you don't have any Saul's, maybe you're the insecure one that you need to deal with your insecurity. Then the third thing that happens, they throw spears at you. They throw spears. Isn't it interesting that David had a spear thrown him and Jesus had one put in him as well? See the connection there? What do they throw spears at? They throw spears of judgment, spears of envy, spears of hate, spears of bitterness, spears of hurt, Instagram spears, Facebook spears. MySpace spears, whatever works. I mean, whatever. So what do you do if somebody throws a spear at you? You dodge it, then you pull it out of the wall, and you, no, you don't do that. That's not how you react. You realize that maybe they don't need to be in your life at this moment. Here's the second thing. It says that David behaved wisely in all his ways. I love that phrase. It, regardless of what was going on with Saul, David behaved wisely. And what happened when he behaved wisely? The Lord was with him. See, Saul's are what make us. David would have never been David if it wasn't for Saul. So don't despise the Saul's that are in your life because the Saul that's in your life is to remind you to always be secure in who you are. It'll help you become the leader, the king, the parent, the mom, the dad, the business owner, the ministry leader that God has called you to be because you'll never want to be like Saul. It'll always keep you in that position of understanding. It helps you. We need Saul's because they remind us, I don't want to be like that, man. I don't want to be like that. Saul's in my life helped me realize that it ain't about Troy Maxwell. It's about other people. I don't do ministry because of this. 
I don't do ministry because I like to communicate. I do ministry for you because I want to see you be all that God has created you to be. And if that means that you'll be better than me, I'm okay with that. Because guess what? I get to sit on the stands of your success and cheer you on. And cheer you on. And I don't really care if somebody recognizes me or not. Because I know that I got to be a part of what was involved in your life. And that's good enough for me. Amen? That's that's what security looks like. The third relationship. Is this okay? Is everybody learning anything today? The third relationship is David and God are God's acceptance. Why don't you stand with me today, if you could. Stand up real quick, if you could. I thought of a psalm that would sum this up. And immediately the Lord took me to Psalms 23. Because every defining moment, if you look through all the relationships that David went through, they all pointed him back to his relationship with God. The importance of anchoring himself. You know, I believe there are friends and then there are anchors. People that when you get around them, Man, you just get inspired. You get, you get motivated. You get, and, and David always, no matter if he, had, if he had spears thrown to him, I think he would just go back to God and go, man, I'm, I'm struggling here. God, I need your help. But if you read every psalm, it always ended with, and God, to you be all the glory. It was always pushing him towards this relationship. So here's what, here's what I want you to do this week. Maybe you aren't going through rejection. Maybe you are. Maybe you haven't had to deal with insecurity. Maybe you have. Maybe you're dealing with some other type of relational hurt. Bitterness, offense, manipulation, conflict, confrontation. When you feel that lack of acceptance or that self-worth or that self-esteem going down, I want you to just maybe grab a piece of paper that you have this psalm written on. Maybe open your phone up. And remember this psalm, Psalms 23, because we're going to read it all together right now. I want us to read this all together. I'm going to put it on the screen behind me. If it's not already there, is it there? There it is. I want us to read this all together. I want you to get this in your spirit because listen to how David describes his shepherd. Notice that David was a shepherd and Jesus is the great shepherd. Let's read this all together. You ready? One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, will you just lift your hands up right now all across this place? Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you that no matter what the rejection may be from man, God, you never reject us you always accept us 
God, even when we, we go through our own personal rejection, where we feel shamed and guilty, God, you can be our shepherd. You can be our guide. God, you, you will always lead us to green pastures. God, even when we're going through the toughest times, the valley of the shadow of death, you, we, we don't have to fear no evil, God, because you're right there with us. God, thank you for being our great shepherd. Thank you that when we're hurt and the wounds are open and, and, and we feel the pain of bitterness and, and the spears actually hit us, God, that you can anoint us with oil and, and bring your healing grace and your healing mercy over our lives. God, thank you that you are our anchor. You are our great shepherd. You are the one who will always be there for us. God, thank you that surely, the surelys of God will follow us. The goodness of God will follow us. The mercies of God will constantly be behind. All we got to do is look back and there's a surely. And there's some goodness and there's some mercy, God. All we got to do is turn our head and you're always there leading us and pushing us and, and, and pouring into the potential and, and, and changing our lives, God. Thank you. For the relationships that we have. God, they, they create a pathway of heaven invading earth. That our prayers are heard by you, God. And that you show up when we're together, together. Thank you, good shepherd. Thank you, great shepherd. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence in this place. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never said yes to him. If you walked out of this building today... You breathed your last breath. If you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would spend eternity in heaven, let's make sure right now. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10 that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. You'll be made whole. You'll begin a process where God can begin to heal your soul. But first of all, let's deal with your spirit. Maybe you knew God at one time. Maybe you're watching online and you knew God at one time. And the reason why you're not in church right now is because you feel like somebody let you down, hurt you. You're not connected with God anymore. Come on, you can give your life to Jesus right now. And God will change you forever. Listen, it's not, it's not about church. It's about a relationship with God. And I believe God wants to change your life today. If you're here today and maybe you want to recommit, rededicate your life, I want to pray with you. If you say that's me, would you just, just the universal sign of surrender, just lift up both hands to heaven. We're going to pray for you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see hands all over the place. Just receive him today. Thank you, Lord. If you raised your hand, you wanted to raise your hand, just pray this prayer. Church family, let's just pray all this together. Just say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that his blood washes me of all my sins and all my mistakes. Today, I give my life to you. I'll serve you and I'll worship you all the days of my life. Thank you for being raised from the dead and giving me new life, which begins right now in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, amen.